the Extra Podcast. Um, my name's Greg. I'll be your host. This is episode number 216. And uh, joining me around the table is Pastor Kyle. Hello, Greg. Hi. It's a pleasure to be here. It's good to have you. Pastor Paul. Good morning, sir. Paul adds a level of bass to our recordings that we mm. previously lacked. Pastor Andy's here. It's good to be with you. Thank you. And Pastor Thalia. Good morning. So now that we're all pastors around the room, I could have just said the names. I didn't need the title is what I'm saying. Basically, Greg, you're trying to say that you are technically a pastor now? That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I'm trying to validate, <laughs> trying to validate <laughs> myself, <laughs> my ministry and myself. My kids <laughs> laugh at me now that, that I'm called, that people call me Pastor Paul because on what's in the Bible... They, there's this character named Pastor Paul, and he wears like the Anglican oh, yeah. collar, and he sits at the piano. And he's like, to talk about justification. And he plays his piano, and so my kids are always so an u- saying, uber oh, nerdy looking character. <laughs> mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. yeah, that's wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> just like me. Just, like, just oh, like come me. on, that's not true. <laughs> you know I, what? New, nerdy is the new cool man. It's actually a compliment these days. You're that's nerdy. What I hear. Oh. Thank you, sir. You feel good. You it's own true. that. I don't know. I don't know when Paul, it, Paul is now weeping. I don't know when it happened, but at some point, the Mister Clean look fell out of fashion. Hey, I'm still oh, no, rocking it. No. Oh no! Sorry, I didn't realize Andy. So I forgot you were here. <laughs> yeah, I'll have you know too that my ears are pierced. Actually, I could rock the full. They are. Yeah, I've never oh, noticed wow. that before. Yeah, I could rock the full Mister Clean. So, ladies and gentlemen of the Extra Podcast world, if you have a pair of earrings <laughs> that you would like Andy that are to wear, pirate size, yeah, <laughs> at our fall kickoff, Ooh. which is happening on September thirteenth, I think. Don't quote me on that, but it's coming up in September. If you want Andy to wear a pair of earrings at the fall kickoff, we how much money should we raise for it? How much I, I, money would it take for you to wear a pair of earrings at that's fall a, kickoff? That's a great question, Greg. I don't know that there is enough. Because we're not talking about just any earrings here. We're talking about like pirate earrings going on here. When's the last time you actually had earrings in? Those are perma perma pierce, buddy. Okay. That yeah. wasn't the question. Yeah. I don't that know, man. man. That I don't my, know. That was the, the point of the question, though, to see if they closed up or not. Okay, fine. Yeah, Here's no, my they question. Are, they are open. When's the last time you wore <laughs> earrings? Uh, I, I would say probably when I was 22. You could rock so those about, plug things. About yeah, twenty five, right? yeah. about twenty five years ago. The tribal look. Uh-huh. Yeah. So basically, I'm saying I don't know that there is enough money for me to continue with mm. the earrings unless they're gold. Oh. And I get to have them afterwards, <laughs> and they're large. <laughs> In which case, the bigger you need the some better. Chains to go in. <laughs> I learned something new today. Yeah, yes, you did. Earring holes. That's great. Hey, you know what? Sounds great. This question we have mm-hmm. sent in. And it's about apologetics. <clears throat> so this person said, first of all, they want to say that I might Andy's be... Andy's awesome? No. It's not all about you. <laughs> <laughs> they said, maybe I'm ill-informed, but I can't find the extra podcast email address. Here's what it is. If you have a question, send it into extra at northview.org, and we will raise your question around the table here. So here's the question they had. Uh, it has to do with apologetics presuppositional or evidential apologetics which is the most effective when challenging another person's worldview or defending the christian faith so thaley and i might be out of this conversation (laughs) but we have three other very well-informed people and thaley and i will play a game of tic-tac-toe 
<laughs> and when it seems like the conversation has died down, I'll bring it back to something else. So presuppositional or evidential yeah. Andy, apologetics. Can you define those? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, first, there's there's a few different forms of that apologetics can take. Uh, Greg is now currently playing tic-tac-toe with Ilya. Uh, so, by the way, if you want to get a good book on this, there's a Five Views book mm. on apologetics, and they go through the major ones. You've got classical apologetics. <sighs> Uh, Greg, wins. Greg just won oh. the tic tac toe. No, oh, hey, no, no. Okay, sorry, keep going. Okay, so, okay thanks, Greg. I can continue. Uh, you got classical apologetics. You've got evidential apologetics. You've got uh, cumulative case apologetics. You've got presuppositional apologetics, and you've got reformed epistemological apologetics, or just a reformed epistemology. So this should be an interesting conversation because I'm curious to see where Paul and um, Kyle land on this, but. Just to be just to be clear, this is a notoriously difficult subject matter to discuss, and people find themselves in varying camps. It's I I don't find myself placed in one particular camp. In fact, I find myself being sympathetic to all five. In fact, uh, I think there's validity in all five approaches, and I would actually th- I would actually make the argument that somebody that just places them in a strict camp and doesn't see the validity of any of the other camps, I would see them as uh, as being an heir here. So on that note, what what does presuppositional apologetics look like? Now just stick with me here because it's kind of complicated. But a presuppositional apologetics is, is exactly what it sounds like. It, it holds to certain presuppositions. And some of those presuppositions are that God exists and specifically uh, the presupposition that the God of the Bible is the one that exists and that the Bible is the Word of God. And so that is taken as a presupposition. And now that could come across as really circular reasoning, right? Well, God exists, and I know God exists because the Bible says that God exists. But they don't, they don't uh, view it that way. The way that a presuppositionalist would view it is, and I think this is a very valid way of thinking, by the way. Uh, it gets into what's called the transcendental argument. Now, I'm not going to try to get overly complicated here with you, but I think that the transcendental argument uh, originally um, developed by Kant, but we're looking at it more from a Christian uh, perspective, the transcendental argument, I think is a really valid way of thinking. And and it works like this. And the question is, which comes first, faith or reason? Now, the presuppositionalist is going to say that faith comes first, not reason. And I think that this is an important point because you do run into a problem in the area of knowledge. We would call this epistemology and our understanding of knowledge. And that is how how do we know things and how are we sure that we know what we know? And one of the presuppositions that needs to be there, and in fact is how we even get our sciences from, this is the real irony of it with regards to secularism, is... The question comes, how can I trust that my five senses are working correctly? How can I trust that I'm observing the world correctly? Now, this is where guys like Plantinga come in that are that are really uh, significant in this area of epistemology in his books. He has a trilogy that he's written on with regards to warrant Christian belief. And that is uh, simply this, that uh, If naturalism is true, you don't have any good reasons to trust your mental faculties. You have no good reason to trust your five senses are working correctly. Uh, You know, naturalism, you know, is survival of the fittest. It's not, you know, a good way to know what truth is. So what then is a good, what then is a necessary presupposition to hold that your, 
your rational faculties are working correctly. Well, that God exists and that God created everything. And then specifically in Christianity, that this God is good. So he's created your mental faculties to work in such a way that they are <clears throat> working correctly and for the purpose of determining what truth is. So you can kind of see where the problem lies. If I start with reason, I don't have any good reason to trust that my mental faculties, my five senses are working correctly. That's why presuppositions is going to say, well, you got to start with from faith. You got to start that a good God did does exist who created you in such a way that your mental faculties do work correctly. Now, uh, an evidentialist or a classical apologetic or classical apologetics is going to really mix more of this together. So this is where I land, where I think it's both facts and experience and that these things are working in tandem, not to the exclusion from one to the other. But if you find like a presuppositionalist, I find that they tend to also incorporate evidential apologetics into what they do. They just they just um, highlight the fact that this transcendental argument is going to be uh, a significant portion of their apologetics. How do they know what they know? Now, I hope I made things so, clear. So is it is it less about um, the way you do apologetics? depending on what view you hold or is or is it more about kind of your starting point how how you would begin doing the process because it sounds like you were saying that both both groups will do kind of the same work they will if you want to know where where i find that you know it can look differently yeah. is if you take somebody like a classical apologetic apologist like william lane craig he he holds this two ideas that that his apologetics is about a differentiation between knowing something to be true and showing something to be true. And so for Dr. Craig, he will argue that he knows Christianity is true because of the inward witness of the Holy Spirit. Uh, whereas then in, in his apologetics, he's seeking to show that it's true, and in which case he's going to use the evidences. Now, somebody, though, that's more like an evidentialist or a cumulative case is going to put more weight on the evidence, less weight on the experience of the Holy Spirit. Where things where where I see the rub and the friction, particularly if you're too in, in, encamped in one spot, is is what happens when we apply this method to uh, a Muslim, or when we apply this method to a Mormon, for example, that talks about this burning in the bosom. To me, I, I see this can even rub with the with the transcendental argument. By the way, uh, see this becomes a problem when when we begin to ask, well. How do I know that my inward witness of the Holy Spirit is correct? Mm -hmm. See, now, Dr. Craig is willing to hold to his belief in Christianity, even if the evidence were, even if all the evidence were to the contrary. Hmm. He's going to say that his inward witness of the Holy Spirit is going to be, will trump everything else. Hmm. Uh, for me, I, I see it more of a cumulative case that these things all need to be working together. I would be quite concerned if all like for example a mormon in which all the archaeological evidence is pointing in opposition to your belief but yet you've got this burning in the bosom that tells you it's true i'm going to say you've got a problem there mm -hmm. right and so and, and any christian's going to agree though that we believe that christianity is true and thus the evidence is going to point to such now i think this is a helpful point though that dr craig makes and that is let's imagine you're you're a christian and you have this belief that Christianity is true, but all of a sudden there's this piece of archaeological evidence that, that arises that, that potentially shows that you can't trust the Bible. Let's just imagine. 
Now I'm going to withhold. I'm going to um, um, what's a good word here? I'm going to press pause, if you will, or I'm just going to wait to see what happens with that piece of evidence. I'm not going to make a decision right away. Why? Yes, because of the inward witness of the Holy Spirit, but more than that, because I have a lot more accumulative evidence than just this one that might be to the contrary, right? And I'm going to wait because I I believe that given enough time, this piece of evidence that seems contradictory will be shown not to be. Mm-hmm. Now, we've seen in archaeology that's happened many, many times. Uh, and I also think that humans aren't quick to change their worldview. We change our worldview slowly. And I actually think that that's a, that's a good thing, not necessarily a bad thing. I'll stop there. What What do you guys think? Kyle, how did I do? Did I define yeah, that well? it's, it's Sometimes these are pitted against each other and people mm-hmm. argue back and forth. And, and there are differences in emphasis and maybe starting points, but there doesn't necessarily need to be argument over, like, I'm in this camp, I'm in that camp kind of thing. Um, a presuppositionalist will begin with the point that no one is neutral, that we all have mm-hmm. leanings, we all have emphasis, we all have preferences, we all have ideas about God, even if they're not really well fashioned or formed or mm-hmm. articulated uh, in our mind, we all have a heart affection for something that we want to love and to follow and cherish. So Romans 1, when it talks about how God created the, the, the universe and actually God speaks through creation so that everyone knows God. So there is this fundamental uh, knowledge of God that we have as people made in his image mm-hmm. that is part of who we are, but we reject it because we don't want to really love God. We don't want to follow him and, and obey him. So presuppositionalists will start with that. We're all, well, that we all gets have a deeper. leaning. We'll have a leaning one way, you know, towards something. And as people who are after Adam, our leaning is against God. Um, that's part of the result of the fall. Uh, the, the reform, oh, sorry, the, um, uh, the presuppositionalist is going to talk about this noetic structure of the mind that that how do we come to the knowledge of truth? And they're going to ultimately talk about, well, this gets back into the theology of it, though, right? Like sin has corrupted the mind mm-hmm. and my my ability to place faith in God. And particularly as Kyle's getting out, because I am rebellious against God. And so, again, it gets back to this idea then that faith is going to need to come before reason. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, the presuppositionalist is going to say, because you tend to find presuppositions tend to be in the Reformed camp, and particularly in the idea that God's going to need to give you that faith. Mm-hmm. And evidentialists will say, well, look at all the evidence of the reliability of the Bible and all these different things, and look at just the world around us, the creation, and look at these things that we have in common of you know science and data and information, and look at all these, these data points that we can both talk about and look at, and these are evidences that point to God. So evidentialists will look more more initially or with more emphasis at these at, at these evidences. And, and both are important. We need to understand who we are as people, mm-hmm. especially people made in God's image and also people who are after Adam. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to look at the world around us and how these things that God has made actually point to God. And, and we should mm-hmm. um, we should understand it in that context. Yeah. And I haven't had a lot of experience in I haven't I haven't studied apologetics a lot. I had one course in seminary on it and, and we went through that five views book. Um, and one thing, and our, my professor of apologetics was Dr. John Frame, who's the presuppositionalist. He actually wrote in that book. Yeah. He's yeah. the, he's the presuppositional view in that book. And what I appreciate, um, kind of what I understand at least about the presuppositional view is that it, it relies on the authority of scripture, um, quite strongly 
and it goes back to uh, um, because of Romans 4.12 where the word of God is living and active Mm -hmm. sharper than any two-edged sword so as you're doing your apologetics you keep bringing the word of God into it because every time you use a passage every time you're talking to somebody even if they don't believe you're giving them a little stab with that sword and you're you're getting into their heart and into their spirit and into their mind because the word of God is active mm-hmm. and so when you have a when you have a strong belief that the Bible is God's authoritative word and that he still is speaking through it um, I mean that's a good thing to rely on in your mm-hmm. apologetics well it, but it's interesting because when you read the five views and you read John Frame, he reads as an evidentialist. You know, he starts out with his presuppositional and he does. He points to the significance of the word um, and what I already just talked about. But then he immediately goes into the evidence, mm-hmm. you know, and will and argue from the evidence. So, again, I think he's a good example of showing that it's, it's both, not either or. Yeah, we want to use all these things yeah. and understand the full orb yeah. of who we are and what God's made, who mm-hmm. God is. Um, one way to think about this, too, and this may help or may not um just think about murder mysteries mm. um and my favorite detective on television columbo okay columbo <laughs> is he still you on and television Coco. he's That's still on television and i'm sure on netflix and <clears throat> um, peter falk has passed <clears throat> away um may he rest in peace <laughs> the actor, but doesn't he um, say just one more thing just one more thing so columbo is this guy that he's a bumbling you know, got this this beat up old trench coat that he always wears. He's a detective in Los Angeles. Um, but the way they they structure the show is that at the beginning, fifteen minutes, you see you see the murder happen. You see who did it. You you know why they did it. So you, as the audience, are witnesses of this, and you know what happened. Uh, Columbo, the te- detective, comes on the scene, and pretty soon he's got an he knows who did it, but he doesn't have enough proof or have the right proof. To, to convict the person. So that's the way Columbo works. Most murder mysteries, you, you as the audience don't know anything and you're kind of learning along the way. Um, so this is sort of way a presuppositionalist would be like a Columbo. You kind of know ahead of time um, that the murder happened and why they did it. Okay. And so we kind of know from, a, from our assumptions about what what the Bible says about what we know about God, and especially this Romans 1 passage where it talks about how God has made it clearly known to us. He's revealed it to us through creation, through our conscience in Romans 2, that we know about God. So everyone kind of knows about God in some uh, fundamental way, and it's just the evidence and leading them to see that actually the God of Scripture is the God of the universe, the God that they should cherish. Um, so the Columbo illustration is, I don't know, is that helpful? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, as a as a way that the <laughs> so, presuppositionalist kind of the emphasis of of that idea within all within using the evidence and all these other things and having that as like a starting point can be a helpful way um, as we talk about people as we show the evidence as right. we show the fruit of our lives as we show all these things to people because yeah like for example the 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 presuppositions may may obviously they hold to the presuppositionalism but rarely are they going to use that though as an argument to help bring somebody to faith and, and God. You know, God is true because God's true. Thus, you should believe in God, right? They're they're not going to do that, or and yeah, I just so I super oversimplified that. But what they're going to do is they're going to show the evidence because they believe that God can use the evidence to bring people to faith. Yeah. So Jesus, Paul does this. Jesus. I mean, they're they're talking about these evidences, right. these things that happen in history, these things that are around us, these 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 pointers to who God is um, as ways to awaken people. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 
So does Columbo ever like get the case right? He always gets always. it right. Oh, okay. So yeah. the, the, See, that wasn't have clear you ever watched story. it? No, okay. I'm just I'm just helping no, the no, listener. No, I should sit be down brought with along. You and watch it. Okay. That's the best part of the, the show because you think sh- he's do you think he's got it all wrong or he doesn't know what he's doing? Yeah. So the, the bumbling the, around. Yeah. The the point of the show isn't to figure out who did it. The point of the show is to fi- is to watch Columbo mm-hmm. as he figures out and gets the right evidence to yeah. prove who did it actually did it. So you're you're walking along, you know all the story, you know all the background, but you're watching him discover these things and creatively, you know, get the person to, you know, either confess to it or to to show that they are actually the murderer. So a modern example of that would be if you've ever seen the show Motive, mm. they show mm. the killer up front and the victim up front, and you know exactly what happened, and you watch the detectives. It's filmed in Vancouver, and you can watch these detectives as they exactly figure out the pieces of what happened. Yeah. And you can watch Vancouver at the same time. Nice. Mm-hmm. But Motive isn't as fun as saying Columbo. <laughs> Columbo. Okay, sorry, I'm back. Uh... So should we move to another question? Mm-hmm. Are you guys great? I think we're done there. Yeah. Okay. If you have another question Basically, with regards to that, just, send it in. When it comes to, like Andy just said, that there are these different possibilities, but eventually, um, whether you, whichever view you hold, you bring the other ones in. You have to. And you you have and you might have an emphasis on evidence. You might have an emphasis on presuppositionalism, but eventually you bring everything in, and and your our desire is to win people to Christ. And you guys, most of you referenced that there is this kind of five views book out. Yeah, it's so, an excellent book. So if people wanted to, yeah, other look than the more guy into who this. throws in the um, the equation, do you remember that part? <laughs> there, there's, somebody tries. Is, to was draw, it Pascal's wager? I can't remember what part, but there's this crazy equation, and somebody tries to draw an equation toward of uh, their ability to accept. Christ versus I don't know it's crazy it's, it's uh but it's William Lane Craig is a classicalist yeah Gary Habermas is the evidentialist um uh, Feinberg forgetting his first name uh John is it John Feinberg I think so yeah he's the uh cumulative case and then you got John Frame as the uh presuppositionalist and I think it's James Clark is the reformed epistemology Excellent cool. book. Yeah. And the nice thing I like about it too, by the way, if you've never read the Five Views books, I would encourage you. They do a whole series of these on different topics. And they give the authors that are arguing for their view an opportunity to critique. Sometimes it's a little over the top. But each of yeah. them, each of the five get a chance to critique each other mm-hmm. on, on their view. So it's helpful. Cool. All right. Here's another question we have from a listener. Uh, they uh, they wrote in and said, I have a question about communion, which was sparked from an experience I had attending a funeral where they offered communion. Mm. The way they prepared the congregation for communion was, in my understanding of scripture, wrong, and I was in conflict about whether to participate or mm. not. So this is a question about our participation in communion. Mm-hmm. They offered communion to everyone, whether you love the Lord, had fallen away from the Lord, didn't know the Lord, but wanted a special blessing today or wanted to show solidarity with the family at the funeral. The hymn that was sung as people prepared their hearts to receive communion was called Draw the Circle Wide. And the refrain or the verse says, Draw the circle wide, draw it wider still. Let this be our song. No one stands alone. Standing side by side, draw the circle, draw the circle wide. So given the scripture's clear call to examine our hearts before participating in communion, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, Mm -hmm. My question is, 
how do we approach a communion table that is not offered in a biblical way? Ah, that's a good question. That's a great question mm-hmm. because part of what the listener is also dealing with, if, if the call is made that this, what the meaning of this is in this context with the, with these elements is that it shows connection and solidarity with the family. Um, they, in a sense, they've changed the meaning of the, of the, of the elements in this context. And if the person doesn't participate, then people will look at this person as, well, you don't, you don't, you're not, you know, with us, you're not yeah. in solidarity with us. You're mm-hmm. why are you even here at the funeral? If you're not yeah. part of this. Yeah. A lot of so, pressure. So there, there's lots of, there's lots of things going on in this. Mm-hmm. And I'll let somebody else talk because I'm, <laughs> I'm still ruminating. On well, I think that it's important that you remember what communion is about. Um, communion is, is, is when we come together and we remember what Christ has done for us. So this is a family meal. And it really is that. I mean, you know, here Jesus had taken Passover and he was, you know, giving this a new, a, a fulfilled interpretation. That, that, this is, um, that this is a way that we remember as brothers and sisters in Christ of what, God has done for us and the sacrifice that, that he made for us. And so just as a family comes together at a dinner table and they ha- share a meal together, we as brothers and sisters in Christ come together at the communion table and we share a meal together. Now, it doesn't look, you know, like a meal in sort because there's a couple hundred of it's us. It's a tiny little Yeah, and, the, and little they're all sitting together. And yeah, it's a very small meal, but the idea is still the same. Yeah. And so that would be one of my first contentions with this idea is, is first they've taken the meaning that Jesus gave it and they're, they're changing the meaning. Mm-hmm. And uh, clearly meaning is significant. It's important. You got to get the meaning right. Uh, and, and so this isn't a meal for just anybody. And this isn't a meal for solidarity. solidarity. Uh, this is a meal of remembrance. And so, so that's what should be thought of. So it's not it even communion anymore. Yeah, right. So, at but this how point. does this person respond? And can it be true communion for a true Christian in that circumstance? Or and, is it not because yeah. it's not been... Or is this yeah. just a, hey, well, I'm I mean, part of the family. If, I, of friends if, I'm hearing, if I'm hearing this correctly, uh, pastors, when they present communion and when they're, um, when they're administering communion, they're supposed to do something that's called fencing the table, which is explaining exactly what communion is for and who's supposed to take it. And it mm-hmm. sounds like this pastor unfenced the table and just yeah. said, everybody's free, free to go. Um, Which makes sense and if we, in our world, right? There's this emphasis on inclusion and a lot of people being involved Sure. In so if it's, yeah. So from, from maybe like a universalist viewpoint, maybe that would be okay to do. Um, but if we, as evangelical Christians think about it, we, we understand like what Paul says, like the, the person writing the question wrote in first Corinthians 11 clearly states what communion is for. Mm-hmm. Um, we should be as Christians in that situation. I think, um, my conscience would tell me not to t- participate. I was going to say the same thing. I, I wouldn't participate because yeah. they're saying that it's communion, right? Right. And it's, it's the same, like if I was to go to a Catholic church and they were, present communion i wouldn't participate there either because they're saying that what if you're hungry though <laughs> <laughs> the wafer's gonna really because help you. <laughs> when you get to you get to the catholics and they talk about transubstantiation where the bread is actually christ's flesh yeah. and the the wine is actually christ's blood and that's not that's not biblical either so i wouldn't participate there either now, and i think now i would be more apt to participate in a 
in a Catholic or a Lutheran service. I would so- yes, I would sooner participate there, but I don't think I would participate in either. Uh, although I've tried before and I was denied the wafer. Yeah. Have any of you ever been denied the wafer? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's. I've only ever been to one noted. Catholic service. See, because I didn't know, right? So, so I went up and I went to take it out of his hand, oh, yeah. and he looked at me, and then he looked at the <laughs> ground, shook his head, and he's like, "You're not a Catholic, are you?" And I'm like, "No." And he's like, uh, "Get it, you know, <laughs> get it, get out of here." Because apparently you got to stick out right. your tongue, right? But and they're, they put they're, it on your mouth. So there's an example of a of somebody fencing their table. Like Catholics have a certain conviction, and he's following mm. through on that, yeah. which is, from their standpoint, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. So I would have a concern if somebody took this communion and thought it was just like any other communion. Yes. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't have as a concern if somebody understand the proper understanding of communion still participated because I think they've changed the nature of the, of the event mm. by sure. the redefinition of it. So, so I would, I would be okay if somebody objected and didn't because this isn't, this isn't the way communion is supposed to be Yeah. and, and refrained. Um, I would be okay with somebody if they participated in their good, in good conscience, understand what communion is. And because they understand what communion is recognizing this is not what that is, but it's something else even though the same word is used and mm-hmm. this is the family just recognizing that we're, we're, we're knit together by the life of this person has brought us together who has now passed, passed away. Kyle, would you participate in a Catholic communion service? I, well, I tried to once, but I recognized that I wouldn't be allowed because I wasn't Catholic. So I didn't. Yeah. I had someone talk to me at kind of the back as I was entering into the service and someone asked me, Oh, are you Catholic? you look like you're new here and i was like no i'm not actually and they're like oh okay so when the when the when it's time for communion don't don't go out they won't let you yeah so i was like oh okay i got a little farther than you did yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you you're gonna right. grab the way grab it out of his hand <laughs> mm. so how how different is the way the communion was described in this email how different is that functionally from going and eating potato salad with the family after? that's my whole point mm. that's what they've done they've, they're sharing a meal Right. They're not having communion. Right. Right. But you can imagine how awkward that would be sitting among possibly close one of the first rows. You're sitting with all the family and friends and then you just you have to make an on the spot mm-hmm. decision about to participate or not. You're not prepared. Mm-hmm. Like how how awful that would be. Yeah. So hopefully yeah, they yeah, sent this yeah, into us live. <laughs> and it's a really long service. Yeah. <laughs> and but they'll I, be able to listen to it before the end of the service. One of the things though I think is important and this is something that we try to communicate at Northview is that communion is important. It's not, not something to take lightly. No. Mm-hmm. And so I think it is good that they, that they realize that and that they've, they've written that in because even when we um, lead communion at Northview, we remind people that, uh, you know, not that sometimes there's Christians that shouldn't be taking communion, yeah. mm-hmm. right? When they're not in a right relationship with their brother or sister in Christ, yeah. Uh, they need to rectify that relationship so that they can, in good conscience, come back to the dinner table yeah. mm-hmm. and remember what Jesus has done. Yeah. That's great. Hey, Paul and Andy, you guys preached as a part of our bumper sticker series. Yeah. A- Andy, you'll be preaching out for campus this week. I will. So don't judge me. Well, I want I wanted to talk <laughs> that's about that's my that's my title actually. I wanted but, to ask don't Th- judge me, Thalia a question. You're bald and you have your ears pierced. I mean, how is it just right? You've already a... judged me. <laughs> you have Popeye biceps. I mean... <laughs> oh, 
So I'm just jealous. So by forearms. Our forearms. <laughs> Andy, would we be stealing any of your your sermon thunder to talk a little bit of the the how tos of of actually judging properly? No, let's let's talk about that because because I want to have. I mean, I want to let Thalia have the lead here, because she has to do this as a part of her like normal flow of her work life Mm -hmm. and just her her life and her training of having to find ways to confront people winsomely about obvious sin in their lives so is it okay if we we jump yeah the topic is so huge that i'm only able to get i only talk on the foundation of it i think this would be really helpful if we teased out some of the practical implications so that's i want to spend a few minutes here Thela, you can kind of lead the way on this conversation. How, how do we, as Christians, so let's assume right now, let's all mm-hmm. be presuppositionalists, and we'll assume Wait the a truth. Minute, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> we'll assume the truth that there is a place to to, to be um, critiquing or or judging sin in other believers' lives in an appropriate way. So we're assuming that to be true. Andy will make the case for that this weekend. Mm-hmm. So that said, give us some how tos of actually doing this well. So that's a key component that you said is that we as Christians, as believers, um, have a responsibility to judge other believers, not other non-believers. If they are not believers, then that's God's realm. But I think we would make the caveat according to, to Scripture. Yeah. Right? Because, mm-hmm. of course, we make judgments of all people whether that be with the Canadian, like with our laws or, or good judgments, but you know what I mean? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But being specific here, we're saying we don't hold non-Christians to um, Christian standards. Christian standards. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Because a lot of people have that wrong. A lot mm-hmm. of people, a mm-hmm. lot of Christians sort of want to apply the Bible to everybody in their life. Sure. But. And, and, and I guess maybe this is not to belabor this point, but. Uh, this is something I've talked about before because I, I, I would consider these to be secondary issues. And then when I'm talking with a non-Christian, I want to talk about primary issues. So instead of talking about the implications of the beliefs that they currently have, because they could be very consistent with the beliefs that they hold to, I want to talk about the beliefs that they have. Mm-hmm. Do they believe that God exists? Do they believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that the Bible is true? These things are, are going to be important if we're going to hold them accountable mm-hmm. to Scripture. Right. Mm-hmm. So how do we actually do it well? Yeah, how do we do it well? That's always the question. So for me, it's always how do you do it kindly and respectfully and yet true to Scripture? So not w- wiping things under, under the carpet, shoving them under the carpet, not saying everything's okay, but how do you actually follow Scripture and talk about those things that are really going to hurt the individual, their marriage, their family, that kind of things kindly and respectfully. So will you will you actually um, like read the passages with people? Yes. Or do you refer to them and talk about them or a mix of both? Or So when people come in and they describe something that's going on in their life, whatever that is, a lot of pornography and affairs and things like that. So then we'll read a passage of scripture or even uh, one person came in and uh, was so angry and holding a lot of bitterness towards stepchildren in their life. This person was on the was in a second marriage and there's stepchildren involved. The stepchildren were grown and there is a lot of bitterness that this stepmom had. And so we read Colossians 3 where it talks about putting off all the different things, mm-hmm. anger, slander, malice, and putting on compassionate hearts. And she was like, oh, hmm. uh, oh, I'm supposed to let go of anger and bitterness. 
that that was a new concept. Mm. So this is a yeah. an important concept in Christianity mm. is that not only are we supposed to judge, but the first person we should judge is oh, ourselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. And mm-hmm. letting, we talked about earlier, Hebrews, uh, where the scripture is living and active. Mm-hmm. For me, that's huge. When we read passage of scripture, you can see people be convicted mm-hmm. by scripture, and then mm-hmm. you can see what they do with it. Some of them will say, oh, that's very clear. I'm not sure I want to follow it. Some will say, oh, that's very clear. Uh, I think I need to change, but I don't know how. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. great. Then I, I and Vic can walk them through that. So it's very interesting to see what happens when scripture convicts them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's great. And Paul, you preach. Sorry, Andy, you're going to say something. Oh, yeah. I, I was just going to say one of the th- one of the main ideas, too, with regards to we were talking about this earlier um, at staff meeting. When when a Christian judges another person, it's it's for a purpose. Yeah, a, a good purpose. And the purpose is to see reconciliation come yeah. to see people brought back into relationship with each other yeah. and brought back into relationship. It's with always God. for their good. It's always for their good. Yeah. That's right. It's not a tearing down. It's not a condemning judgment. It's always so that they um, will be restored to yeah. God, to others, their marriages, their families. And if we think about that, that's what God's done with us. He's he's judged us. But he's done it in mercy through his son, Jesus Christ, that yeah. we can be reconciled. But this is important. This is an important aspect of Christianity, that there is a day coming when there is one who can judge yeah. and can judge um, ultimately. Mm-hmm. And that is God. And that day of judgment is coming. And so until that day, we work hard to help bring people through judgment back into relationship with God and right relationship with each because other. Because if they continue in their unrepentant sin now and next week and months and years ahead all the way to the end of their life, they're potentially yeah. risking their eternal future because That's right. we mm-hmm. need to repent before we can enter heaven. The, yeah, they're wrecking their life right now, Yeah, but it, it has eternal consequences Absolutely. if they don't stop. And yeah. most of the people I talk with haven't thought that far. They mm-hmm. just what what they like right now. Mm-hmm. They yeah. haven't realized that what's going to happen five years, ten years, mm-hmm. eternally down the road. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Paul, you you preached this weekend. Yes. Also, at the Abbotsford campus. Yeah. First mm-hmm. sermon. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, buddy. Well done. <laughs> it was so, well done. So if uh, if you heard his sermon, you're a part of the Abbotsford campus, and you listen to the podcast, and you had any questions about Paul's sermon, send those into extra at northview.org, and we will address them next week. Um, and if there are no questions, I'm sure there's lots of meat to to kind of get off the bone from mm-hmm. that sermon about what it actually mm-hmm. looks like to be the church and how to love each other well. And so that'll be something we'll talk about as the summer weeks go it, on anyways. In right. fact, Paul's heading off to our to Squamish. Yes. There's a church plant out there that we partner with. Mm-hmm. You'll be preaching this sermon out there this Sunday. Yeah. Um, well, I'll, I'm actually preaching up there the next two weeks. And this sermon, I'm not sure if I'm doing it this week or next week, but oh, I will okay. be re- preaching it again up there. Oh, nice. You bet. Cool. Yeah. Great. Well, I want to thank uh, you four for being here. And thank you, Greg. Yeah, great. <laughs> you know, it's such a privilege to be you know, in your presence. Such a lovely host. I, uh, <laughs> I'm not thanked enough for my hosting. You know what? That's true. It's a thankless so, job. It really is. Because <laughs> if anything goes wrong, you get blamed for it. But someone's got to do it. Yeah, and, and I don't Greg know. Greg needs some Prudy's chocolate as thanks. No, I'm good. For this. I'm good. You no, sure? I, this is this is plenty. My tank is full. <laughs> Your um, love tank. <laughs> my love tank, tank is full. is full. It's not a sieve, just pulling out the bottom. No, I, no, believe me, I hoard. I hoard. <laughs> um, I don't know if people have noticed, but these last few weeks we've been 
kind of playing around with a different recording system. And so we, we hope that there is grace extended to us as we try different things to try to make the audio quality better. We actually have, we've heard a lot of people that will like exercise while listening to the podcast because uh, my movements right now are like circular rest motions. <laughs> nice. That's how I exercise. That's how I'm this physique. Um, I noticed. It's and, like you're spinning a, a pizza are you dough. shadow boxing? <laughs> you should do that at your standing desk. It's too good. <laughs> so to all you runners out there, we are trying to make it so that you don't have to constantly be turning the volume up and down, up and down. If this podcast was not helpful in that way, we're sorry. We'll work on it. This is a work in progress, but we want to get our listener world with the highest quality audio that that our money will buy, <laughs> which I'm not saying is a lot, which but we're, we're going to give it a go. Okay, so uh, thank you so much for listening. Hopefully it wasn't too hard on your ears. If you're exercising right now, give it one more rep. Keep going. Keep going. Don't give up. Don't stop. (laughs) That that hill will be over soon. (laughs) And uh, hopefully we'll see you at church on the weekend.